Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd at Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except sometimes the author stops by. Our October selection is Celeste Ng's third novel, Our Missing Hearts. It's about Noah, also known as Bird, who's in grade school when the novel starts. He lives in a sort of post-democratic America where access to information is scarce and anti-Asian racism is everywhere. His mom, who is a Chinese-American poet, disappeared a couple years ago, so now it's just him and his white dad. This is a book about the power of myth and motherhood and the slippery slope towards fascism. That's all I'm going to say for now since this is a spoiler-free interview, but I am super excited to introduce you to Celeste Ng. Celeste, welcome to Internet. Thank you so much for having me on. So I sort of hinted at this in the introduction, but... The America that you paint in this book is one that is in crisis. Kids are being taken from parents. Books are being turned into toilet paper. Authorities are inspecting the mail. Civil liberties really don't exist anymore. I wish I could say this was difficult to picture, but here we are. Um, You know, I feel like in the past I've talked to a number of authors who, especially as they write books reflecting on racism, say this isn't surprising to me at all that this is timely because this is a reality that I'm constantly living with. Are you surprised at how timely this book feels at this moment? I'm I'm not. I wish it weren't the mm. case. But yeah. I, I went into this book sort of thinking, you know, I wanted everything in it to have roots in reality. So nothing in here is totally made up out of whole cloth. The idea of, of you know, family separations, you said, or of books being banned or of civil liberties being challenged is not anything new, as I think we're all sort of becoming aware. It's just sort of got the volume turned up mm-hmm. in this particular world. Mm-hmm. So structurally, this book, especially the beginning of it, felt a lot to me like The Handmaid's Tale, which you actually mention in your author's note mm-hmm. as being similar in terms of kind of bringing in historical realities and, mm-hmm. and you know, creating a fictional story, but something that is very based in things that happened in the world. Um, I thought it was really interesting because it's one of those setups where we know something happened, but especially since we're learning about things from a kid's point of view, we have a lot to piece together. It's a very engaging reading experience. Was that always the way you wanted to approach this story? Yeah, I always wanted to tell it from a child's perspective, and in particular, a child who was sort of on the cusp of adulthood, because I think... At that age, um, in the best of worlds, you as a kid are starting to understand the larger world outside your family. For many of us, childhood is a very small time in hopefully a good way. And it's when you start kind of tiptoeing into adulthood around 12, 13, you know, the, the coming of age time, you start to get a sense, oh, there's a lot more world out there than maybe I realized, you know, the, the most sort of privileged and fortunate among us get, you know, have to open up our eyes at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And that's also the time in which you start to go, oh, 
everything has a context. You start to understand sort of the context that you live in, in ways that you maybe didn't have to think about before. And you start to understand your parents too, as more complicated people than maybe you were aware of before. Mm. And so I knew I wanted to focus on Bird, who is 12 at the beginning of the novel, and the ways in which he's just starting to become aware of the history that's formed the world that he lives in. And he's becoming aware of who his parents were before they became his parents. Mm. And, and uh, you know, he's having to sort of look at aspects of them that he hasn't looked at before. Um, that felt like such a powerful moment for me. Mm. It was so well written, too, in terms of, you know, I think sometimes, especially a 12-year-old, you might read a book from, you know, the point of view of a of an early teenager and they're, or honestly, any kid, where, like, sometimes they're just too precocious or... <laughs> Their insights feel much more mature than they possibly could be at that age. But I thought you towed that line really beautifully with Bird and, and what he's experiencing and thinking about. I, I feel like kids are a little bit difficult to write. They're, they're a challenge because in some ways they don't know what's out there. And so their viewpoints and the terms they can use to express themselves end up being re really limited. Even mm -hmm. the vocabulary that they use, the comparisons that they can make, they haven't seen a lot of things before. But at the same time, kids can also be very wise, I think, because they don't have a lot of the preconceptions that adults have. Sometimes they'll just notice things that we've trained ourselves not to notice. And walking that line was sort of a fun challenge. Um, I, I write a lot from the perspective of, of kids and young adults, and it's helped me in some ways having a kid of my own because I can remember that on the one hand, I'm like, oh, you're really smart. I can't believe you noticed that and you thought about it and you're that insightful. And at the same time, I go... How do you not know that I have failed you as a parent? I need to I need to, you know, fill in all the gaps in your knowledge. I'm kind of reminded mm. always of of how much they know and how much they don't know at the mm. same time. I think it's really fascinating too because as a result of his point of view, kind of as you were saying, in a lot of ways it feels like this story takes place in a bubble. We know what's happening outside, mm -hmm. but throughout we're really only seeing it from the point of view of very few people. You don't have an abundance of named characters in this book, mm -hmm. even though there is still a very strong sense of what is happening outside of that bubble, too. Yeah, I I wanted, again, to mimic how how it sometimes can feel at around that age to a mm -hmm. child that the people who are in your world are big figures. They've got names. They're they're present in your lives. And then there's everyone else, mm. right? And there's all the rules that are out there. And to you, they, they often can feel like laws of nature. It's not until you get a little bit older and you start to get an adult perspective where you go, well, who made those laws? Mm -hmm. And how are they being used? And was this the intent of those laws or are they being misapplied? I think when you're a kid, you're you're so used to rules being put down for you that often you you're not taught to question that. And in some ways, that's that's what Bird is learning to do. He's learning to question the rules that have been put down for him in this world. I think, too, such a tight narrative framing, that specificity really helps readers be able to figure out what's happening without being completely overwhelmed. Yeah, it this was a, this was something new for me of trying to create a world that wasn't strictly realist. Uh, I've always thought of myself as a fairly realistic writer, and this was the first time in which I realized I was going to have to do any kind of real world building. 
I read pretty widely and I admire other writers who can kind of effortlessly build a world very different from ours. But it was something that I, I spent some time working at. I looked at a bunch of dystopian novels, and then I looked at a bunch of other novels that maybe we can just call speculative. You know, fa- mm-hmm. they've got fantasy elements or they've got sci-fi elements to figure out how you orient the reader in the world that you're in. And one of the things that I learned was there's going to be the rules of the world, and they might be different from our world, but the thing that really helps the reader feel grounded is the characters and having them act like people, mm-hmm. having them be recognizable, seeing their emotions, seeing their perceptions. And that's something that I think I've been doing in my previous books. That's that's what always draws me into stories. And so that's what I tried to sort of stay with, even as I was building this, this new kind of world. Mm-hmm. I would be so fascinated to see the reading list that you were working with as you were writing this book. <laughs> I've I've got like it was less of a list and it was more of a giant stack of books. <laughs> I, I can tell you offhand that there were I, you know, the Handmaid's Tale was certainly yes. on it, but also books like Zone One mm-hmm. and um, books like The Power and Ugh. Red Clocks and The Road and also Brave New World. A lot of it yep. was just looking at the ways that these authors kind of set you down in a new yes. place, told you what the situation was. Or concealed certain things from you, but then also got you invested in the stories of these particular people. I think that's the the kind of combination that that makes any book work is getting you involved in these people, but also making you feel like you have a sense of what the world is. Mm, that's so cool. So I was especially fascinated in this book by the way you wrote about motherhood. Um, because on the one hand, it seems so instinctual, but on the other hand, it also seems like something you still have to practice at, which Mm -hmm. is so contradictory, but fascinating. And I don't know, it just made me wonder as someone who is not a mother, is motherhood just like constantly full of contradictions like that? I think that is the best description of motherhood that I might ever have heard. (laughs) I feel, I feel like, yes, you know, it's sort of, you kind of know what you're doing, but you also don't know, right? There's, it is a constant surprise to you and there's instincts in it, but there's also all this rationalization. And as soon as you feel like you've gotten your feet under you, your kid grows or learns a new skill or becomes a tween or whatever is happening at that moment. And you have to kind of readjust. It is, at least for me, it's a constant sense of feeling like I should know what I'm doing and at the same time going, do I know what I'm doing? And I think maybe that's just how motherhood and maybe parenthood in general is. More with Celeste Ng on Our Missing Hearts in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. 
This book refers back to the crisis, which is a series of events that led up to where Bird is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I love what you're saying about even those other books that you read and the idea of sort of placing you in it, concealing some things, revealing others in time. I think it's fascinating and alarming to think about how close we are to a lot of what you've described. I mean, I think especially later on in the book, mm-hmm. just the descriptions of empty streets and, you know, having been through what we've all been through with quarantine and, and the pandemic. Yeah. It was alarmingly easy to picture. Yeah. And I, I think, honestly, what we were going through in the pandemic helped me imagine what it might be like to be in a world that was really full of fear, you know, for, for, for some very good reasons. But that was my overwhelming feeling of, of going through, especially, you know, the early to mid parts of 2020, was just not knowing what was going on, of just feeling like everything might be a threat and yeah. of feeling, therefore, very isolated. I mean, it's it's strange to think back now. There was a time period where we were we were like, we have to like wash our mail yes, yes. right? because there was this sense that we just because we didn't know. Right. We didn't know how this disease was being transmitted. And so we were everybody was kind of doing what they could. There was that sense where we didn't even know, for example, if it was safe to um, to be unmasked outside. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a period where we would go for walks around the neighborhood and we would see no one. There would be no cars. There would be no people. There was no, all you could hear was birds. Mm -hmm. And it was so, it was like everyone had been raptured away. And so that was one of the feelings that I was thinking about as I was writing the scenes of of the crisis, as it's called in the novel, what it might feel like to be really isolated and to feel really alone and to feel like everyone around you might be a threat because that's, that's sort of how they're feeling, not in terms of a disease, but in terms of all kinds of other dangers, Um, Mm -hmm. that there's that sense that you can't trust anyone and everyone has to be kind of alone. And that's, that's kind of terrifying. It is terrifying. It's so interesting to think about in the context of the pandemic as sort of inspiration for that, too, because I've thought so much about the pandemic novel and what my appetite for something like that may even be. But it's I don't know. I just think it's really fascinating to think of of the variety of different ways that it is going to influence all sorts of different writing beyond like it is 2020 and COVID is terrifying. You exactly. Know? I'm, I'm, I've been seeing several different books come out and I feel like they are speaking to the pandemic in a way, even though then I look at, you know, when this writer must have been writing them and I find that they were actually writing them before. And that mm. was that was true for this, too, that this this book has been in progress, I guess. It's been sort of in my mind and sort of on the page and in a lot of very messy notebooks. And I was trying to figure out how to put it together. But I I had been exploring this idea of a society where everyone was really isolated from, from other people and where there was this sense of distrust, that your neighbors were not part of your community, but people who were maybe they're part of community watch. Yeah. Exactly. And that sense that outside of your own home, everything could be perceived as a threat. Um, I mean, that's certainly not something new. That's something that's happened multiple different times and in multiple different places throughout history. But I had been thinking about that. But I had, I realized, been fortunate enough that I had not lived through anything like that. And then when the pandemic happened, I, I got a just a glimmer of what that might have been like, you know, what might it have been like to be living in a society where really your neighbors might report on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did just be clear. I did not feel that in my, in my own sure, neighborhood, sure, sure. but that <laughs> sense of like, where is everyone? 
yeah. what's happening? Yeah. You know, where did everyone go? And and is well, it know, okay? What am I doing wrong? Exactly. Too, right? And and that, what are the rules here? How do I follow them? Is this safe? Exactly. All that. Is it is it safe to see the takeout delivery person? Right. Can I hug my friend? Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, all of those senses of like what's safe. Um, I think that's something that many of us were fortunate enough to not have to think about before, and suddenly to have to think about that, it's really destabilizing, and it makes you relate to everyone in the world, I think, in a different way. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the crisis. You also use the word disturbance. I'm, I'm curious about those word choices because in some ways they seem so watered down. It's, you know, it, it feels to me like, and I think we've been through a lot of this too. I think about it, especially as a journalist, the, the words that are used to describe horrific events because things keep getting progressively weirder and we only have so many words. Yeah, I, I'm always struck by the way that in news, those events get kind of named. It's almost a way of circumscribing them or of, of, of taming them or containing mm. them in some way. And sometimes it is because, as you said, we only have so many words. And sometimes it's because we almost don't want to admit that this was a catastrophe, right? Or this was whatever the big words are. We were like, well, we don't want to think that we're there yet, right? I think, especially when it keeps getting worse, mm -hmm. you know, because then what do you use after catastrophe? Exactly. Like if you use that, it's a sense of like, we don't we don't want to use that word up because what's going to happen after that? You know, I I, I remember in, um, you know, about 2008 or so where we were having a lot of economic problems and they kept on talking about it as a correction or a downturn. Mm. And that just felt so euphemistic. Mm. Um, and so that language in the book is is definitely on purpose. It's it's a little bit the way I imagine that these situations might get downplayed, even in the research I was doing for the book, thinking about the depression that makes mm -hmm. it sound almost gentle. Which yeah, it's like a like little, quaint. yeah. I yeah. mean, thinking about the ways in which the language is sort of used to kind of gloss over some of the the harshness of what's actually happening, and the way that over time it kind of elides that that hard reality. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. So this I don't. It's I don't think it's spoilery to say that the heroes in this book turn out to be poets and librarians and storytellers. One of the big themes in this book is around the power of myths. I think especially the stories you hear as a kid. Yes. Why do you think they hold so much power? I I think that the way that we start to make sense out of the world from a very young age is through stories, mm -hmm. um, whether it's the stories that we make up for ourselves or the stories that we're told or things we wouldn't even think of as a story like, oh, I threw that on the ground and now it's down there, right? Like that's that, that's not a, it doesn't feel like a story, but in a sense, it's a cause and effect, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I remember when my son was a very small child, there was definitely a phase in which anything that I gave him would end up on the floor. And then yeah. he just kind Let's of look at happened. Right. And, and yeah. in a way, they're figuring out, oh, this happens and then it makes that other thing happen, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I think that's a very human way of looking at the world and understanding how how we make meaning out of experience, because the other alternative is everything is completely random and you cannot predict what happens and you can't affect anything that happens. And generally, I think most people don't want to feel that way. And so I think that the stories that we hear um, or the stories that we tell, especially when young, they're sort of the first kind of like um, they're, they're kind of the first strokes that that create the rough picture of the world mm. for us. And then once that's kind of set, everything else is kind of refining that picture. But those stories, I feel like, 
hold such a, a deep resonance for us. Um, mm. One of the stories that's at the the heart of the book, uh, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. Um, there's a story that uh, Bird's mother tells him when he's a very young child and he re- revisits this story and is trying to kind of reinterpret it. That was a story that I remember hearing or being told or reading when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it's been in my head for a long time. And the funny thing is that now that I'm older, I look at it slightly differently than I did when mm. I was a kid. So the the stroke is still there, but I, I see it differently now. And that's that's something that fascinates me about stories. I think that's that's why they stay. Yeah, totally. So there could be a sequel to this book. Is that something you're interested in? <laughs> Um, right now I, I put everything that I sort of know about the characters on the page. So I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. never, never say never. (laughs) I always go into a book with a question. I never go in sort of thinking, this is what I, you know, this is what I want to write about. This is Mm -hmm. the story I tell. And after I've written the book, I kind of know when I'm done because I do understand the question that I had at the beginning, right? I have, I understand what it was that interested me. I understand maybe why this character did that thing or how they got there. And so in this case, I... I think everything that I know is is in the book and, Hmm. you know, we'll see what happens. But for right now, I'm content to kind of let the the reader fill in what happens, you know, after the last page. I love that partly because it means you get to write something totally different. And I'm excited to read that, too. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Celeste, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. I'm really glad we got to do it. Greta, this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me on. you enjoyed that interview with Celeste Ng as much as I did. Now, you know the drill for Book Club. Our discussion episode for the book comes out the last Tuesday of the month. Of course, we would love to hear from you before then. Read the book and then let us know what you thought by recording yourself on your phone and emailing the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Also, speaking of books, one of our most favorite enthusiastic readers, Liberty Hardy, is in this coming Friday's episode, so make sure to keep an ear out for that as well. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Maggie Sivett builds our newsletter, and our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. I hope you have a very bookish week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.